welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 27th of July 2014, entitled Defending the Truth in Love, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 John verses 1 to 13. Here's Brother Gareth Green. Good evening everyone. If you'd like to turn to the second epistle of John. Thank you everyone for coming out to worship the Lord this evening. Um, I'm going to be uh, speaking uh, expositorily uh, on the book of Second John. Uh, I'll try and uh, be as uh, succinct as I can, and um, yeah, let's um, let's start by reading uh, all 13 verses of the Second Epistle of John. If you'd like to stand on the reading of God's word, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, Lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. So uh, the first thing, oh, before I do that, let's pray. <laughs> um, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you, Lord, for um, who you are and what you've done for us. And uh, we pray now that uh, you would speak into our hearts, speak into our lives, um, speak into um, us those things that you'd have us to, to hear and understand. Um, yeah, we just pray that you'd uh, work, uh, work among us and that we'd uh, yeah, give you all the praise and glory for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first thing... Uh, that you might strike you when you look at this letter is uh, its length. At only 13 verses, it struggles to take up a single page in most Bibles. Uh, the letter is short because, as we find in verse 12, um, the writer intends to visit this lady soon. The writer of this letter is believed to be John the Apostle uh, because the date of the letter fits in with uh, John's lifetime. Um, it also uh, is backed up by ancient tradition, uh, and the literacy style and vocabulary matches that of John's gospel. So what about this elect lady? 
she doesn't have a name. Um, I'm sure she does in real life, but she, she hasn't been given one here. Um, there are two ways to interpret this. Um, this can either be taken literally or metaphorically. Metaphorically, it could mean a church. Uh, literally, uh, it could mean just uh, a single Christian lady. Um, the literal interpretation uh, is more likely here uh, due to the informal way that it has been written. It sounds more like a one-on-one -on -one conversation than a letter to a church congregation. John said that he has many things to write to her. These many things can wait till uh, he sees her in person. But for some reason, this short passage we are looking at today simply could not wait. If for some reason John is held up uh, in visiting this lady, he still wants to make sure uh, that this short letter gets to her. Why? What is so important in these verses? Um, I've divided this letter into uh, five, uh, five different chunks. Uh, I hope that summarizing this book uh, in this way will help you to get your head around it uh, quicker. So part one is verse one to verse three. This is a greeting from John to this Christian lady and her children. Verse four is an encouragement to the lady for her hard work as a parent, uh, and John uh, has joy in seeing the obedience of her children. Uh, the third chunk, verse five to six, is a reminder and an encouragement to this lady to continue loving as a Christian should. The fourth chunk is verse seven to verse 11. Uh, this shows us the reason for this encouragement to love, um, a warning against false doctrine. Uh, and finally, verse 12 to 13 is uh, simply a farewell. Uh, now we have a rough idea uh, of what the book is about. Uh, let's look at the purpose of this book. Why does this book exist in our Bibles? The first answer is verse 2 and verse 5. This letter was written uh, to give this message. Verse 2, for the truth's sake, Verse 5, continue in the old commandment to love one another. For the truth's sake, love one another. Uh, the second answer is that verse 7 is threatening verse 4. Verse 7, deceivers who don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh are threatening verse 4 the children walking in truth who have obeyed the commandment of God. Deceivers that don't know Jesus are threatening, uh, are a threat to the obedience and spiritual health uh, of the children. John's aim in writing this, uh, this letter is to remind the readers of the importance of the truth uh, and to warn them of false doctrine and false teachers. So, having identified the purpose of this letter, the question must be asked, what is the truth? John spent a large portion of this small letter talking about truth. Truth is what he is encouraging this lady to hold firm onto. So before we go any deeper, 
it's important for us to get an accurate definition of the truth. The word truth or truths is used five times in this letter. And each of these uh, words is translated from the same Greek word, aletheia, which means truth. So no surprises there. <laughs> um, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Uh, we're going to quickly look at what the Bible defines as truth. So the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and verse 6. Jesus, uh, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So this tells us that Jesus is the truth. Let's look over at John chapter 14 and verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. This tells us that the Holy Spirit is truth. So we've got Jesus is truth, and the Holy Spirit is truth. Uh, let's turn over to uh, John chapter 17. Uh, John chapter 17 and verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth, for thy word is truth. This shows us that God's word is truth. Uh, and the last verse, uh, it's over in Titus, Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So this verse shows us that God cannot lie, so God speaks truthfully. So from just briefly looking at four verses, we can see that God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Bible are truth. God is truth, and there is no truth without God. This is why this letter is so important, because it deals with the very foundation of our faith. John's purpose in this letter is to encourage this lady to hold firm to the truth, to hold firm to God. So, we return back to our original question, what does it mean to know the truth? What does it mean to know God? Paul tells us in uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. And James tells us in James chapter 2 verse 19, that even the devils also believe and tremble. Even the devils know who God is. We know that to know God, like John is encouraging us to do, is not simply to know the fact that God exists, because even devils and atheists know God exists. We need to know God in a way that moves us to follow his commandments, as these children were doing in verse 4 following God out of a love for God. It is important to know the truth because the truth guards us against false doctrine. This leads us on to our second point, how to spot false Christians and doctrine, or how to discern between truth and lies. 
As previously stated, one of the main points uh, John wrote this epistle is found in verse 2. The purpose was to protect the truth and guard believers from falling into error. A very important and noble task, wouldn't you agree? What would you do if you were trying to protect the truth? If you knew someone was struggling with keeping to true doctrine, what is the first thing that you would say to them? Maybe you'd give them a good book or a good resource on a particular topic that they were struggling with. Or maybe you'd tell them to stop listening to certain people, certain uh, false teachers. Those are both good pieces of advice. But what does John do? Let's find out. Let's read uh, the second epistle of John, verse 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. He tells her about God. John addresses false doctrine in a number of ways in this letter. But firstly, he attacks error by telling us about God. Grace, mercy, and peace come from God in truth and love. Why does John take this approach? Because everything is about God. He is the foundation of everything in our lives and gives everything we do meaning. Our lives are about God. Your job is about God. Your breakfast is about God. Your garden is about God. Your sleep is about God. And your pain is about God. So to fight this bad doctrine, John brings us back to our foundation, God. Every cult and false religion in the world has got God wrong. There are plenty of things that we can find to agree on with people from other religions. Uh, for example, uh, we can agree with Muslims about the importance of prayer. We can agree with Jehovah's Witnesses that Jesus existed. We can agree with Catholics that we need to ask for forgiveness of our sins. We can even agree with Mormons that Jesus died for us. So why do we reject all of these religions? I mean, if we went according to John's standards in verse 7, we could say that all these groups are our fellow Christians. The criteria laid down in verse 7 for identifying a deceiver and an antichrist is someone who does not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. But wait a minute. Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, and Mormons all believe that Jesus Christ existed and that he walked on this earth and that he wore flesh. So why are they all deceivers and false teachers, as John says? Well, put simply, they believe in a different Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. For example, uh, someone could say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe that he was God. I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe that he rose from the grave. Or, I believe in Jesus, but I don't think that his death was enough to pay for my sins. All of these people believe in a Jesus 
that fits in with their worldview, not the Jesus of the Bible. Um, a key passage to understanding the characteristics of a deceiver is Matthew chapter 7. Now let's turn there now. Matthew chapter 7. This is a passage where Jesus directly speaks about um, what deceivers uh, look like. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, and then I'm going to jump up to verse 20. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them, verse 20. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So you will know them by their fruits. When you look at the fruits of these people who claim to be Christian, they will not look like Christians. So what do Christians look like? I hear you ask. This takes us on to our next point. What do Christians look like? What are the characteristics of a Christian? Um, another of John's aims in writing this letter is to encourage this believer to keep walking in their faith. No doubt false teachers were discouraging this believer and the confusion this would cause in the church was depressing her. John encourages this believer to continue in her faith by following the most important commandment in verse 5. 2 John verse 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Luke ten twenty seven also tells us, and he answered and and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbour as thyself. This is what a Christian looks like. A Christian is known for their obedience to the commandments of God, commandments to love God and others. There are two key points that John gives us for identifying Christians. Love and obedience. Christians will be identified by their love and obedience. John tells us in verse 1 that all those who know the truth, all those that know God, will love everyone else who knows the truth. They will love to be around other believers. Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. A true Christian will bear the fruit of love. John 13 verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Christians can also be identified by their obedience to God's commandments. Um, in uh, verse 5, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have heard from the beginning, 
that we love one another. So how are these two points linked? Love and obedience. Well, let's look at verse 6. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Love for God is shown through obedience to his commandments. If we don't follow God's commandments, then we will not look any different from the world. We will not bear any fruit. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Uh, Verse 6 tells us that our love for Christians is the motivation for obeying Christ. We should walk in obedience to Christ. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3 tells us, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Second uh, John verse 8 uh, warns us against disobedience and straying away from God. It tells us to examine ourselves and beware that we don't lose the reward that we have worked for. So how does John identify a real Christian? Well, he is convinced that this lady is a Christian. So why is that? Well, in verse 4, uh, we see her, the fruit of her work. Verse 4 shows her fruit. She has brought up her children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. She has followed the commandments of God. At the start of the sermon, we divided John, uh, second John, sorry, into five sections. Um, A simpler way of breaking up this letter uh, could be to divide it into two sections. Uh, Verse 1 to 3, if the truth is in us, verse 4 to 11, this is how we will live. So if the truth is in us, this is how we will live. We will walk and abide in the truth. So this leads me on to my final point. Uh, defend against false doctrine. John's desire behind sending this letter is that its recipients would resist false teaching for the purpose of keeping the church strong. This is how we should apply this information to our lives. We need to use this information to stand strong as a church. What pictures do we see in this letter about how to defend against false doctrine and bring unity in the church? Uh, Now, I admit that when I wrote this sermon, uh, I only intended it to be one sermon long. Um, But having looked at uh, my final point, uh, the several uh, sub-points, this final section could have been a separate sermon in itself. So I'm just going to try and keep it brief um, and, uh, yeah, just put it into bullet points. So here we go. So the first picture I see in Second John um, about how to keep a church strong is uh, elders. It's way back in the first verse, the first two words, the elder. A healthy church has good elders that encourage and look out for the flock. They set an example and also fight for the truth and against false doctrine. The elder, just like John, has authority to encourage good doctrine 
and rebuke bad doctrine on behalf of the church. They also rejoice in the obedience and faithfulness of others. We don't have time to go through it today, but uh, Titus chapter 1 gives us a list of the qualifications for elders. Uh, We should love and trust our elders. Elders are guardians, and as such, they will receive more spiritual attack, and so we should pray for them. Uh, So the second picture I see in uh, this epistle of how to have a healthy church is wisdom. The main way that John tells this lady to guard against deceivers is to abide in the doctrine of Christ, verse 9 to verse 11. In order to defend against false doctrine, we need to know the scripture so that we can quickly notice what is truth and what is error. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. On the outreaches in the city centre, I've met Muslims uh, that know more of the Bible than I do. Um, They know Greek and Hebrew, but they have been taught a twisted version of the Bible. We need to be prepared to answer them. We need to be prepared to defend the faith. Even more so when people walk through those doors and claim to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, number one, elders. Number two, wisdom. Number three, uh, challenge strange doctrine. Second uh, John, in verse 10 to 11, tells us that encouraging others in evil is as good as taking part in the evil deeds ourselves. The correct response is resistance and correction in love. This is not a job for the elders only, but it is specifically mentioned as an elder's job. Titus 1 verse 9 tells us that elders are to know God's word and be ready to defend the church by correcting false doctrine. Uh, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 23 says, He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Rebuke is not a nice thing, but it is an important and loving thing to do. So a big thank you to our elders for all of your hard work. So number one, elders. Number two, wisdom. Number three, challenge strange doctrine. And finally, number four, unity. Uh, Back in verse one of the second epistle of John, uh, it shows us a great picture of true fellowship and unity. John is saying that anyone else who knows the truth will love this lady and her children. The devil wants us divided, so we are easier, uh, we are weaker and easier to attack. There is safety in a multitude of counsellors. We are stronger together. Uh, In verse 2, we find that all those that know the truth love each other because of the truth. If you are a believer here tonight, then you literally have God living inside of you. God himself has chosen to make your body his dwelling place. 
What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not of your own? 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 19. After all, what could be more unifying uh, than to have the Holy Spirit living in you and living in the person sat next to you or in the next row? Who could better be equipped to solve an argument or a disagreement than two people who have God living in them? Love them for the truth's sake. Love them because God is inside of them. In order to be a strong church, we need to be unified. I want to draw your attention now to verse 4 and verse 12. One of the ways to resist false doctrine and be unified as a church is through fellowship. These two verses, verse 4 and verse 12, um, show how John is encouraged. Verse 4 tells us that he was encouraged by the children walking in the truth in accordance with God's commandments. Seeing the obedience and boldness of others helps others to be bold and obedient themselves. Your spiritual walk can encourage and discourage others. We should be seeking to encourage one another. Verse 12. We need to be in fellowship. Some things can't be done by letter or text or email. We need close fellowship. We need to see each other in order to be encouraged. John said in verse 12 that he seeks to speak face to face, that our joy may be full. Our joy, not just John's joy, but for her sake also. Fellowship isn't all about us. It's about encouraging others. Our fellowship is about God. I would like to thank you all for making the effort to come today because God is using you to encourage and strengthen this church. I'm sure you would agree that to walk into church and see it full of familiar faces is a great encouragement. So those four points again, four points for a healthy church that I can see in the second epistle of John. Uh, number one, elders. Number two, wisdom. Number three, challenge strange doctrine. Number four, unity. And one that came to me while I was talking to you now, uh, number five, family. Um, the family picture there of um, uh, this lady and her children. Uh, but I don't have any bullet points for that, sorry. Um, so uh, to recap, essentially, a healthy church is full of Christians that love God and obey his commandments. A healthy church is full of Christians that love God and obey his commandments. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for um, your truth. We thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you that um, we have the, uh, the blessing of being able to be a church family to encourage one another. Uh, Lord, we thank you for um, your truth that you've given to us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Bible are um, are all truth, Lord, and that we can we can stand on that as our rock and our foundation. Father, I pray that you bless uh, this time now. Um, pray that you be pleased to um, take these words that have been spoken uh, and uh, yeah, uh, place.
plant seeds in, in our hearts and um, uh, yeah, give them uh, good soil. I pray that they'd uh, come forth and um, be uh, healthy plants, that they bear fruit. Um, and all that you just be continued to uh, bless the work that uh, goes on here in Bethel Free Baptist Church. In Jesus' name, amen.